Our Bible's open tonight to the Gospel of Luke, and we're number eight, if you'll turn there, please. Chapter number eight. Folks said to me around the motel, they wanted to know if secret service was in the room there beside of me. <laughs> well, I did, I did vote for him, so there's no question about that. The Gospel of Luke, number eight, is our passage this evening, if you'll turn in God's Word with us. And uh, I've been informed that uh, the battery goes off in 20 minutes that I'm using here, so I'd better take the text and get right into it. I sort of feel tonight like uh, one of our granddaughters did. It's been some years back. She's a teenager now, and this was back when she was about maybe five or six years old, our oldest granddaughter. And uh, she was listening to me preach, and it's the fifth night. Her other grand, uh, papa, she calls him, he's a pastor also, preacher. And uh, I was in their church, and uh, she was there with me while he was up here. And then when I would get up here, she'd move over there with him. But after the fourth night, this is the last and the fifth night, she... She looked at me, and uh, probably just about five, she said, to, "She said, Grandpa, could I say something to you? And I said, yeah. She said, I want to say it in your ear. <laughs> and I got over where she could whisper in my ear, and she said, I don't think it's going to take you a long time tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and I sort of looked at her, you know, with a startled look, and she just sort of, I said, where'd you get that uh, thought? She said, I don't know. I just think it. <laughs> well, that was that little girl's subtle way, and perhaps not so subtle, saying to Grandpa, it's been taking too long. <laughs> so I don't think it's going to take me a long time tonight to do what I feel the Lord wants me to share with you. And I am aware that there's some activity going on after the meeting, so I have that in mind. But I come tonight with a passage of Scripture the Lord has directed my attention to, and it's a passage that he uses to uh, speak to my own needy heart many, many, many times. Through the years, God's used the truth that's before us here. I mentioned those of you that were last night where I was preaching. You heard me say that I spent nearly three years in the Gospel of Luke when I was a pastor. My style is just take a passage and work our way through it. And what I'm reading tonight, when I was in the pastor, it covered two messages. Uh, they're they're different, but uh, yet they're related. So I want to read both of them and these two little portions in God's Word, and then I want to select one of them for our our consideration tonight. In, in chapter number eight, the Gospel of Luke, in verse forty, we're told it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, now he's made a trip across that little body of water, uh, and he's been over in the land of Gadara. He's paid a visit to the Gadarenes and. He's done some wonderful things while he was there, but yet he was not received. In fact, verse 37 of the chapter, they, they implore him, they beseech him. The Bible said they besought him to depart from them. Really, even with intensity in that uh, request to him, to leave them. So now he's back. He's crossed that little body of water, and the Bible says, in his, upon his return... The people gladly received him. In contrast to the rejection, this group gladly receives him. 
for they were all waiting for him. Behold, there came a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. He had one only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she lay dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. And a woman having an issue of blood twelve years, which had spent all of her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanced. Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me. For I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him, she declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. They thought perhaps he could do something about it until she died, but now the situation is too desperate. No use now, just uh, she's, she's dead, so trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John, the father and the mother of the maiden, and all wept and bewildered, but he said, Weep not, she's not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. He put them all out and took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. Her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. I repeat, I, I preach two messages from these two stories that's intertwined here. And uh, they do have one ingredient in common that ties them together. But tonight, I call our attention to a question that our Lord raises in verse number 45. And his question was this, who, who touched me? Now, Peter and others thought that was rather, perhaps even a silly question. Who touched you? Their response was, well, Lord, this, this multitude, this large crowd, they're bumping up against you. Their text says they were thronging him, pressing against him. In fact, a whole lot of people's touching him, the implication is. And uh, after his question, they attempted to respond with that kind of uh, uh, response to him, but, but he doesn't accept it in verse 46. Jesus said, somebody hath touched me. Unlike the crowd, someone's touched me in a different way. Uh, yeah, I'm aware these are bumping me and pushing against me, but no, I'm not, I'm not referring to that. Somebody hath touched me. He then says, for I perceive, that is, I'm aware that virtue, strength, is gone out of me. And then we're told when uh, this unnamed woman is aware that she is found out, if you please, she tries to stay in hiding about it. 
She comes out before him in front of all of these people. And it was rather, if you understand her situation, the condition the woman was in, say the least, it was rather embarrassing to her. But before him and all the people, she, she makes a declaration, you know, for what cause she touched him. I'm speaking for a few minutes tonight on the touch that Jesus feels. The touch that Jesus feels. I got a note from a pastor. I've been with him all through the, off and on for over 30 years, but I've been with him in a, on a regular basis for some time now, and he, he likes to refer to his meetings as Bible conferences. And, uh, he asked me if, you know, if, it, if I'd pray about most of the time a subject that, uh, the Lord brings to his attention that as he prays about the needs of his people, and he'll get in touch with me six months prior to the meeting, and he'll say, Brother Hurd, if God permits you, just sort of uh, stay in this, uh, uh, in this realm, with this theme, uh, uh, these nights that you're going to be speaking to our people. I got a note from him. He said, uh, Brother Hurt, we, we sense God wants to do something uh, in a life-changing way in the meeting. He said, here's our prayer and here's our theme. We're going to call it life-changing encounters with the Lord those days you're with us. He said, if God permits you, would you bring a message sort of with that in mind? Find some scripture that God will let you share to us, uh, perhaps around some testimonies of people that so met him that they were never the same. Some examples, he put it, that we might could learn from. I spent five nights with five different examples in the Bible where someone so, if you please, got in touch with the Lord, so encountered him, so had a meeting with him that they were never the same. One of them's here. This unnamed woman. Know little about her. We just know that she was in a, a condition here that was long-standing. And our Lord is in her community. She hears of him. And even though it's a large crowd of people around him, she's so determined to get in touch with him that she just presses her way through. And him being who he was, there'd be a tassel on uh, hanging at the bottom of his garment. And she didn't feel worthy to come in front of him. And she just reaches through and touches that tassel, the border of that garment. And uh, he just stops this... Very important man in the community. He, he's the ruler of the synagogue, Jarius. He's one of the group that's waiting on the Lord and he anxiously anticipates his return. He's got a little girl. She's at the point of death and he makes an appeal to the Lord prior to this and the Lord just starts going to his house and this crowd with the Lord and all of a sudden he just stops abruptly. No sense of irritation. There's no frustration, of course. He just stops and asks this public question. Who touched me. And then when she reveals herself, he treats her as a princess and says something to her that, uh, you see, he didn't declare her healing. That's already happened. He has something else in mind. Uh, more than that, she's aware. She said, I knew the moment I touched him. I, I knew within me my need was met as far as the physical need, but the Lord has something deeper in mind for her. So he calls her out and says something to her publicly. But I want to raise the question tonight, and the question is this, what kind of touch is it that he feels? Uh, oh, I 
know we in a group can, uh, let me put it like they were referring, we can throng against him, we can, we can press against him, but there's something else in mind. I mean, the kind of touch that if you touch him, you have that kind of encounter, as my pastor friend said, you'll, you'll never be the same. You'll receive from him. When he said to those disciples, no, I'm not talking about that. He said, I perceive virtue. Now, that doesn't mean he has less strength than he had. He's not talking about that. He just means that it was costly. There was an expenditure. He knew it cost him to do what he did, and he felt that. And he said, strength left me. Someone has obtained some strength from me. And who is it? What kind of touch is it? I mean, what would that be characterized as? If this week we so encounter him, this week when this series of meetings is over, we could look back and honestly say it's a lasting difference. It's a life-changing encounter and would never be the same. What kind of touch is it? I suggest three or four suggestions tonight, just simple as they can be. But the first one is this, and I've alluded to it already. This touch that he feels is characterized by a deep sense of need. Oh, here's a woman with a need, and she knows it. She's not casual about this. She has awakened for 12 long years, every day being aware of a life-dominating problem. And out of that kind of awareness, I got to thinking about it. As the text says there, 12 years, that's 144 months, 624 weeks, 4,368 days, that dear woman has awakened being aware that she has a life-dominating problem, and when she reached out and touched him, oh, I suggest tonight that touch was characterized with a deep sense of need. As I pick up the Bible and begin to read it, I only find that people that really have a need are the ones that get in touch with him. Now, the truth is, we all are needy, but some of us don't know it. The Bible says the last day church age will be characterized. The church is going to be saying we're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. But our Lord responded but said, Thou knowest not. They were ignorant of their need. Oh, they didn't think they had a need. Rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. We won't reach out to Him. I read a verse this afternoon that really gripped my heart. God was talking to His ancient people Israel. And I'm, I'm building a message in, in that portion. And I tell you, it was God's Word to my heart. And I, I said that to Him. And I said, I appreciate it, Lord. I'm glad He'll come to us at our point of need and just say to us, there's a need. You need to do something about that. And God said to His ancient people Israel, He said, strangers has devoured His strength, but He knoweth it not. He said, there's gray hairs here and there upon Him, but He knoweth it not. Oh, needy, sure. I mean, strength is getting away. That's declension. He's declining. Oh, he's weakening, but he's not aware of it. Mingle with the enemies to, to the point God said, why, enemies is infiltrated and, and weakens your walk with me and your power, but you're not even aware of it. Gray hairs here and there. But said you don't know it. That's rather unnatural. You've got gray hairs all over your head. Why? You know, what God was said when he said here and there means they're sprinkled, you know, around over their head. Some of us have been baptized with them, amen? But uh, the point was, there's the, the strength lesson. And yet his ancient people, Israel, oh, he said, Israel doesn't even know this. The man whom he's with the Lord now, he's so influenced me. Only God knows how much this servant of his helped me. And he had such an insight about certain things and about what I'm talking about now. 
He knew revival. He'd been involved in revival. His name was not widely known, but in circles where he was at, people that knew him knew that this man knew something about revival, about how to secure and have the power in the presence of God. And we were together one day, and he was showing me some places where he had revival. He, he pastored this church for nearly 50 years. I was with him twice a year for the last 20 years of his life. He'd had me for a Bible conference in the spring and one in the fall, and I had the joy of going there. One of the most unique churches I, I ever went to, country church, but all oh, the power of God on it, way out in the country. And many Sundays, three and 400 people be out there and come and meet in the power of God in that place. I said to him as we was driving through an area once, and he said, Brother Hurd had a joy starting that church, beautiful building. And a little bit later, had the joy starting that church. And I said, really? And he pointed out three or four churches on our trip that day. He said he had the joy of, of helping organize, and the little nucleus was started. And he said, we'd just go and have a revival in that area, and we'd start those churches. And he was telling me about some things that happened. I'm talking about... Oh, he, I'm not talking about, you know, a national revival. Just talking about in his sphere, his circle where he lived and worked. But all oh, people that uh, have said to me when I go in that community now, they've told me about some of them revivals. They said revival take place and God would change lives. They put it like this, drunks and bootleggers said, I mean the bootleggers put out of business, said if he came around here in revival, it just made a lasting difference. I recall saying to him there in the motel room, I said, Doc, why aren't we seeing that now? And you know what his immediate response was? He said, most of us don't feel our need of God. He said, the age we're in now, we will learn how to do it without God. we got so many things, so many gadgets, he said. Oh, we'll say, oh, Lord, send a revival. But he said, if it doesn't break through, you know, on our time schedule, we got something else we'll do. And just, we can do without him. He said, Brother Hurt, we haven't sensed our need yet. I haven't forgotten that. Oh, that spoke to my needy heart. I've thought about it since his home going. Well, here's the touch that he feels. Here's the touch that he responds to. Here's the touch that gets something from him. And I suggest that, first of all, it's characterized by a deep sense of need. And the second thing that I su- suggest about it, it, it reveals a wholehearted desire. And uh, they go together, of course, but... You see, the reason that she had such a desire and wouldn't be denied, now you don't need a lot of imagination if you know the kind of problem she had. Oh, it, it was taking its toll on her physically. She, she'd she been losing blood all these years. She had a flow of blood and, and losing this blood, but yet, and that would render her, of course, a, a person of, of weakness, but she's so determined, she pushes her way through that crowd and she touches the border of his garment. She wholeheartedly. I mean, there's no half-heartedness. There's no indifference. And I pick up the Bible. There's so many verses I have before me. And I'm not, there's no need, really. I mean, I can just mention a couple. You're well aware of what I'm talking about. But there's so many verses where God says to if you're going to get something from me, you'll have to come with your whole heart. You search for me, seek me, and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Jesus said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst. They'll be filled. Oh, see, some of us, I wonder how hungry we are, how thirsty we are for God's power, God's blessing, something supernatural. D.O. Moody, he's my, he, one of my heroes of history. Mr. Moody is, uh, had the joy and privilege some 37 or 8 years ago of studying a little bit from the place that uh, bears his name in Chicago. 
Mr. Moody. I've read his life story from three or four different ones, or three different ones, I guess. And Mr. Moody's life speaks to me, challenges me. And Mr. Moody, in his own words, said he heard a man preaching one night and said, and quote, where God said, I pour water on him that's thirsty. Moody said that preacher didn't give the address. <laughs> and he said, I didn't really know where it was at. And said, I went home and took my Bible, took the concordance. And he said, I found the address in the Bible where God said, I'll pour water on him that's thirsty and my spirit upon his offspring. And Mr. Moody said, I said, God, if you said you'll pour your spirit, pour the water, pour the power of God on a man that's talented, I'd be left out. I'm not talented. I'm uh, if you said you'd pour the, the power of the Spirit of God upon on him that's educated, oh, that would eliminate me. But he said, since you said I pour my power and spirit on a man that's thirsty. Oh, he said, God, I'm aware of my need, and I'm hungry, and I'm thirsty, and I can get as thirsty as anyone. And if you've read his life story, after hearing two women uh, pray and thanked them for praying for the services. And they said to Mr. Moody, we're not praying for the services, we're praying for you. And Mr. Moody, in his own words, he said, I, I was a worker, even a hustler. I could get a crowd. And said, when they told me I'm praying for the power of God for you, he said, that would offended me a little. I thought I had power. So they had some of the biggest crowds that anyone. But uh, he said, I went and got alone. I couldn't get that off my mind. And God seemed to say, why did you get offended when those... Women said, we're praying that you'll get the power. And it made him hungry. And Mr. Moody said, when I sought him out and I had him to pray. And then he said, I prayed with him. And one of the, word, the words of one of the dear women I've read, she said, I don't think I've ever heard anyone pour their heart out for the power of God like Mr. Moody did. And it came his time to pray. And you know his story. It had the fire. And he was younger in New York. And there on that little canyon street called Wall Street. And he said, I'd gone to try to secure some funds, but my heart wasn't in begging for money. My heart had begun to cry for the power of God. And Mr. Moody said, the power of God so came up on him, he had to ask a friend to get him out of public and put him, get him somewhere alone. And he said, I took the same sermons I'd been preaching and where a few would gotten saved. He said, now, oh, there's large numbers. And he said, I wouldn't be put back behind that experience for all of the world. And Mr. Moody with R.A. Torrey and others that he'd bring here from other parts of the world. Men who, F.B. Meyer and men like that, that knew something about the power of God. And had a heart and a hunger. Because knowing without it, we're tinkling cymbal and sounding brass. And God put his hand. Oh, listen, to get in touch with him tonight, I must first be aware of my need. And then want it with all of my heart. Not only does it suggest to me that it's characterized by a deep sense of need, reveals a wholehearted desire, but this touch that Jesus feels, this touch is motivated by faith. That's the one quality that our Lord refers to when He speaks to her personally. He said, daughter, notice now, she'd been isolated. This is a tender term. If you let me bring it up to date in terms, she couldn't go to church like uh, the average ladies could go. She was kind of problem she had in the economy that she lived under. It rendered her unclean. And if she came in and sat down on a bench, if you had a seat where she's been, you'd be unclean. Oh, I don't mean you'd be catching something, but ceremonially, you'd be unclean. So get the picture. She's been isolated. It's been that way for 12 years. 
So we begin to see something about the condition that this dear woman every day of her life would awaken to and know that it's life-dominating. It affected every area of her life. And Jesus calls her out and calls her daughter, building back some self-esteem and, and self-worth, if you please, and assurance within her. And he says, daughter, be of good comfort. Be encouraged, we'd say. Notice, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. I've said the touchy fields is characterized by a deep sense of need. It reveals wholehearted desire. It's motivated by faith. This woman believed it'd make a difference. When she reached out to touch him, she believed that, uh, you know, uh, what I'm about to do is an expression of what's in my heart. I have confidence he's able. have confidence that he's willing. And thank God that he was not only able, but inclined and willing. And uh, said to her, your faith has made you whole. Uh, I've recently read a book again on faith and it stirred my, stirred my heart by a person that's got insight in this subject. And I found myself saying, Lord, I don't know that I've, I've ever believed you. And it seems like, Lord, I, I'm in kindergarten when it comes to this business of trust and confidence and faith. And, and yet without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently or wholeheartedly, if you please, wholeheartedly seek him. And without faith, you won't have his. He didn't say it'd be difficult. No, no, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Our Lord would often pick up a little child and teach those disciples an ob- object lesson with, with, with a little child in a number of things, of course, about him. He'd talk about the humility, but one of the outstanding characteristics of a small child, he wanted them to say, is a small child. Oh, they have the ability, you know, to, to believe. They, uh, they receive. The, and sometimes they, they make themselves vulnerable, open to danger, because, you know, they, they're liable to believe the wrong person. But our Lord trying to get them to trust Him and depend on Him and take Him at His word, He'd pick up a little child. Some of you a few years back heard me mention this, and it comes to my attention here, and I'd had a note about it, and the Lord wants me to close with it. I was in a preaching one Sunday night in the church where I was privileged to pastor on the southwest side of Indianapolis, and someone today was asking me about that and spoke about it and that ministry and how, how good God was. Uh, oh, how gracious He was to us. I remember a Sunday evening, preaching along something like I have attempted to tonight, and there was a young preacher. He'd come, he and his wife and two little boys, and they joined our church. He'd left his church as his first pastorate, and he got discouraged in his discouragement. He first, as he put it, a disappointment that uh, uh, he encountered that just about floored him, and then not... Uh, Handling the disappointment properly, he says, he said it led to discouragement. Discouragement led to defeat. And here he is, almost in despair. And he left the church. The church so went down, they about closed the doors. And he came, visited our place a while, and he wanted to speak with me. And he said, Brother Hurt, I feel like the Lord wants us to join and just be a part of the work. I'm not asking to be put on the staff. I know you have staff already, have two full-time preachers with you, so... I'm not asking for that. He said, my livelihood is in a work that I did and have been doing for a while. He and his brother are builders, and they built rather large buildings. So he said, you know, livelihood's no problem, but I'd just like to, 
have my family there under your ministry and, and said, anyway, I can help you. I will. And, and what a help he was. And about a year later, one Sunday night, they come to my left. And uh, they're in prayer. God paid us a special visit that night. And they wanted to talk with us. And here's what he said. He said, I told my wife, if I'd have heard that message, and, and I, don't, I believe he said uh, a year or so ago, if I'd have heard that, and if God had given it to me, like I got a hold of it tonight, and became his word to my heart, oh, he said, uh, Brother Hurt, it would have been different. I'm sure it would have been different. He said, I never knew anything about quiet time, morning watch. I never, I, he said, where I went to school, he even played it down, to be honest. Kind of fanatical and all that business. We was kind of taught, just get out there and do it, you know. You you can do it. You, you've got enough training. You can do what you ought to do. And he, he wasn't putting that down. He was just simply saying, you know, we, I've been aware of my need for a long time, but I never knew about quiet time, morning watch, meeting God, praying through, staying with God. I thought it, and our friends was talking about questioning the song, how long has it been? How long has it been since we stayed on our knees till the light broke through? We knew we got through to God. A man asked me the other day, he said, Brother Hurt, did you pray through or are you just through praying? <laughs> oh, that's a real question. See, some of us through praying, but the question is, did we get through to God? Did it make any difference? Old timers always talked about praying through, staying there till something happens. Well, on the way home they talked about, and part of the message was faith, trusting God, taking God at His Word. And he's telling me about it later. He said, uh, he said, and they got home, they're having some refreshments, and their youngest, he's probably five-year-old, but a little bitty fella. And he said to his daddy, he said, Daddy, if you need me, and he pointed and said, I'm going to be back there in my room. I'm going back there to talk to God. I'm going back there and pray. <laughs> and his dad said, Son, I'm going up to my room, and I'm going to pray also in a few minutes. And he said that little guy was gone momentarily. Here he's back at the door and said he's got the seriousness expression. And when I acknowledged him, he said, Dad, is there anything you want from God while I'm back there talking to him? <laughs> he told me about that. He told me about that with tears in his eyes. He said, Brother Hurt, that was God's Word through that little boy to my heart. He said, coming home with what I had on my mind from what you'd said to us. He said, in the presence of my wife and our older boy, I looked at that little guy with all the sincerity of my soul. And I said, son, listen, please. While you're back there talking to God, would you ask God to use your daddy in his service? Being a builder, he took those three rooms upstairs there and, and renovated and remodeled and built him a beautiful stairwell. And I've been up there and he's got a big beautiful sign here that says, the upper room. Took his library and put it up there. His wife told me some not too long ago, and I've been gone from there since 1980, so it took place before that. And he, she told me just some time ago, she said, I doubt there's been one day, and she called him a name, that he hasn't met God at least one hour. You don't never see him. At least one hour in the early morning, alone with God. Some five or six years after that, after a Sunday service, he invited me to speak in. And my wife was with me, and he and his wife and my wife was having some refreshments after the meeting. And I spoke at 8.30 that morning, again at 11 o'clock, and I spoke to a group at 5 o'clock, and then I preached to the regular group at 6 p.m. that evening. At 8.30 in the morning, I spoke to probably 350, 400 people. I told them I didn't know Baptists got up so early. <laughs> and then at 11 o'clock, I spoke to all uh, probably 900 people. That's about what I think they had in that auditorium. 
that many again that night. And uh, we're having these refreshments. And oh, God visited around there that day. They had a wonderful sense of His presence. You know, I said to him, I said, do you remember the request of that little boy? He looked at me in big tears immediately welled up in his eyes. Would you ask, your, ask the Lord to use your dad in his service? I said, God's answering that little boy's prayer. He said to me after that one day visitation, he said, Brother Hurt, that wasn't easy. That was an acknowledgement of failure. He said, when I went up there and knelt that night, I said, oh my God, I, I, I've, in the words he, he's put it, Lord, I've blown it so. But he says to me often when we have a little fellowship, he'll say, Brother Hurt, it was such a good day in my life when I learned, he's heard from this text, he said, when I learned to get in touch with him and I could do it day by day. What a privilege. Every day. Oh, the outer, the outer man's perishing, but the inner man can be renewed day by day by meeting him. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. God's people in a moment of quietness. All over the room tonight. Wonderful, wonderful sense of God's presence here. I was telling my wife about the, the reality of God in this room this morning. I said to her, I, I got so full, so blessed and tore up. It was, it's time for me to quit for I could even get to where I could talk this morning. But I tell you, God did something for me because of His sweet presence in this room. He's here tonight. Now, I've talked to my heart. He knows I have. I, I don't try to fade or put on anything. He knows He knows what I've been talking to Him about this afternoon. And He knows that I would want to come before His people with a truth like this without in my own heart first saying to Him, Oh God, oh, more than anything I can think of, I, pardon me for being so personal, but I said to Him, I said, more than I want to live. I don't want to live. I couldn't live without preaching and serving You. And I couldn't do it without getting in touch with You. So therefore, more than I want to live, Oh, I want to be in touch with you. See, the, the amazing and, and encouraging thing, He wants us to. This meeting this week, oh, that's the heart of God. For when this meeting comes to a close, that we individually can say, oh, we've, we've been changed. We've had such a meeting. We've had such an encounter with Him. We've gotten in touch with Him, if you please. And oh, it's made a lasting difference. But it starts when we sense our need to admit it. See, there's something about us humans, and it's our undoing. We never like to admit we have a need. That's difficult for us to say, oh, it's my fault. I have a need. I'm coming up short. I'm cold. I'm struggling. No, no, there's something about us. We don't like other people to think we have a need. And we never get in touch with God till we declare the need. And then have a hunger and a thirst and a desire for that need to be met. And then believe. Believe that it'll happen. Father, would you see your truth to our hearts? Thank you for being here tonight like you are. Lord, our hearts have been made to hunger again. And Lord, some of us, we've let something else sort of take that place. And I pray this will be a new beginning. Cause this week to be a week we look back upon and say, indeed, it was a a time of refreshing and revival. You know who's here and you know what's needed. And I pray right now as we lift up every heart here, I pray thee to be to us right now what we need in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Stand with us, please. As we stand, there's folks here talking to God. I'm going to join these. The pastor will be here in a moment. You want to join us tonight? You've you got a hunger. You sense a need. You just want to talk to God. Maybe for someone else you want to talk. Don't, don't miss God tonight. There's plenty of room up here. As the pastor said this morning, there's something about just saying yes while God is speaking. While we wait. Come on. Don't miss God tonight. God bless you. While we wait, you obey God.